0: Matthew, here we go, the Gospel of Matthew. He is methodically building a case to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, sent by God to be the Savior of mankind, the Savior of mankind from the judgment of God because of our sin. All of that is very important. Matthew proves that Jesus has the right ancestry from the very beginning. Matthew proves that Jesus has the right ancestry. Jesus fulfills all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. He was born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. He goes to Egypt. He ends up in Nazareth. There's approximately 117 uh, prophecies about Jesus. I will spare you and not go through all of them again. Then John the Baptist baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. Jesus is confirmed to be the Son of God by a supernatural voice and the appearance of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Then Jesus is tempted by Satan himself. He goes into the wilderness and Jesus overcomes temptation. Even in Matthew chapter 4... Jesus begins his ministry, and where Jesus begins his ministry is also a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. It is at at the end of chapter 4 that Jesus called Peter and Andrew to come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. There's a joke there. I'm going to just kind of leave it alone, okay? Okay. It was then that Jesus also called the brothers James and John. In fact, in that text, it says many followed Jesus, but Jesus called some, many followed Jesus, but Jesus called some to be his disciples. They were close to Jesus. They were his traveling companions. They were involved in his ministry of teaching and healing and what he was doing. They were his closest disciples. Friends, got that in your brain? Jesus' disciples. Many people were following him, but he had some disciples that were very close to him. And then Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters of Jesus tying old covenant um, commandments to new covenant transforming and unreasonable grace. I'm going to say that again because I want you to get your brain around it. If you haven't yet, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters of Jesus tying old covenant commandments to new covenant transforming unreasonable grace. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> then, Matthew drills down on the supernatural power of Jesus, his power and authority, that demonstrate Jesus' divine and godly character. That is very important to where we're going today. We're getting close. Matthew proves Jesus' divine and godly character. Matthew is proving that this man, Jesus, is the Son of God, and that Jesus is also fully God. Uh, I subbed, I subbed, oh, here's a side point. I subbed for my son in his 30 days to understanding the Bible class on Wednesday night because he was at the hospital having our second grandbaby. I know. Thank you. You're welcome. That was wonderful. I'm glad I could do that for you guys. Yeah, having grandbabies. I just didn't realize how much fun that is. Uh, But we were talking about the nature, the doctrine of Jesus, what we believe about Jesus. we were talking about this very thing, about the dual nature of Jesus being fully man and simultaneously being fully God. It's It's a mysterious and wonderful thing. Now, John wrote it much more succinctly. And so I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter one. It's not our text for today, but I think we should read John chapter one every once in a while just because it's so good. (laughs) And uh, so while while you're turning in your Bible, um, uh, you need to get ready to underline some stuff, okay? Get ready to underline some stuff. Now, if you don't write in your Bible, you're welcome to stop by my office after service and I'll give you a Bible that you can write in and then you can give your Bible to somebody who will actually use uh, your Bible. John chapter 1, here we go, John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, uh, you got your pencil ready because we're going to underline here, in the beginning... The Word, everyone say Word. Word Word already existed. The Word was with God. And underline this, and the Word was God. Now the question is, is who is the Word? (laughs) Okay, I just changed my whole sermon. (laughs) The Word is Jesus. He is talking about Jesus, okay? Okay. If you don't get that, then we're lost, totally lost, all right? So when we read this, in the beginning, the word already existed. We're thinking about Jesus. John is, is substituting a word there for Jesus. There's a reason for it. I'm not going to go into it. I was going to read it real fast, but you guys got all confused there. <clears throat> Verse 2, he existed in the beginning with God. So who existed in the beginning with God? Jesus. Thank you. God created everything through him. Through who? Jesus. And nothing was created except through Jesus. Wow. The Word, verse 4, the Word, Jesus. Think about this. This is beautiful. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone that's what jesus was up to back in genesis chapter 1 verse 5 the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it verse 6 god sent a man he kind of transitions here and i could have stopped there but why would we stop there god sent a man john the baptist to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Verse 9, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Are you picturing that? This one that gave light to all of creation, who gave life to all of creation, is now going to come into the world. The world. Verse 10 He came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. But the, yeah, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, Jesus. He came to His own people, the Jews, and even they rejected Him. Verse 12 But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become. Children of God. <laughs> we, need, we need one of those jazz organs for this sermon, for this text. You know what I mean? Am I the only one that have heard those preachers? with Anyways. Sometimes on Sunday morning you get this feeling like it's just in a syncopated rhythm. It's just off-step just a little bit. I feel that way this morning. They are reborn... Oh, no, let's go back and read verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of the living almighty God. They are reborn. Those who are children of, that become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Verse 14. So. The Word who is who Jesus. Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only son. Verse 15, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds. This is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Verse 16, this is where, where I'm coming towards the end. I'm continuing to come to the end. <laughs> it says, from his, who, who is his? Don't get lost in the pronoun. Jesus. Jesus. From his abundance, are you there? I'm waiting for you to mentally and emotionally get there. My microphone's rubbing on my collar and it's driving me crazy. From Jesus' abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another did you picture that you got that you just man that's good for the law was given through Moses but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, the unique one who, this is the part that I want you to underline. In fact, you should double underline it and circle it and highlight it, make it bold. But the unique one who is himself God. You, you with me? Just read the text. Is near to the Father's heart, he has revealed God to us. It's not just Matthew and John, but Paul was pretty convinced when he wrote Philippians 2.6. He says, speaking of Jesus, Paul says in Philippians 2.6, he says, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Matthew has gotten us to the undeniable death deity of Jesus, God has put on a man suit and come to planet earth, okay? Good Christmas message, but I need you to get there, God has come to earth, God <laughs> I'm trying to avoid, you know, the the old-timey pastors that say God with three syllables. I'm trying to avoid doing that, but that's what I want to do. It is here that Matthew tells the story of Jesus calling him to become a disciple. So I titled this this morning, Jesus's authority to call disciples because we've been kind of in a groove of Jesus's authority here. And I think that this is very fitting and it continues the thought because Jesus stood up in the boat. You remember the stories previous, Jesus stood up in the boat in the middle of a really bad storm and he commanded the wind and the waves to stop and they obeyed. As authority over nature. Uh, then Jesus commanded the demons and the two men at the cemetery to go into the herd of pigs, and they obeyed, demonstrating his authority over the supernatural. Then, last week, what the guys preached Jesus spoke to the sin in the man who was paralyzed. Fantastic story. Just fantastic. Jesus spoke to the sin. In the man who was paralyzed, and the man was healed, and the man was forgiven. <laughs> I can, I can, I don't need you guys to enjoy my sermon, <laughs> I enjoy it a lot. Jesus spoke, the man was healed. And he was forgiven. So we have, we have this escalation of Jesus' authority, proving that he is God. And finally, I'm to point number one, where Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. I should have told you early on so you could get there, because now you got to backtrack from John 1. Are you with me? Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, it's a narrative, so you kind of picture it like a movie in your brain. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Get that in your brain. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and... Followed him. Now, I took some time with this back when we began, Matthew, 30 weeks ago. <clears throat> wow. I'm slow. <laughs> but, you know, I only got one good book to preach out of, so we're in no <laughs> rush. No rush. When they write a better book than the Bible, then I'll get in a hurry. And Anyways, until then, we're just cruising through the book of Matthew and enjoying every bit of it. Hallelujah. Matthew's job. We kind of got to redraw. We we did this back whenever I started Matthew, uh, but it's important to kind of redraw the picture of Matthew and who he was. Matthew's job was to collect taxes, picture this, from the Jews. Matthew's job was to collect taxes from the Jews to give to the Roman Empire who oppressed the Jews and took advantage of the Jews. That was his job. Matthew, because Matthew was a tax collector, his status in in Jewish society would have been lower than a dirty Gentile because he robbed and betrayed his own people to make the pagan Romans rich. You get the picture? The Jews despised him uh, because he worked for Rome, and Rome despised him because he was a Jew. Matthew was a social, political, and religious reject. Okay? I just you gotta it's an emotional story, so we kinda gotta get all of the parts going here. And now we've come to Matthew chapter nine. I love that Matthew has pretty much left himself out of the story so far. But then after we have come to after Jesus has proven his authority to forgive. We have we're at this point in chapter nine where the God Man has uh, the God Man over nature and the God Man over the supernatural and the God Man who forgives the penalty for sin. He's walking along and he looks over and he sees Matthew at his tax collecting booth. So Jesus knows exactly who this man is, what he's all about. I'm making the assumption that Matthew knows who Jesus is because the stories have been going around about a man who forgave a paralytic sin and he was healed. And so Matthew kind of nervous because now we have this Jewish teachers walking up and not sure if he's going to get, you know, I mean, we all love our tax person, right? right. yeah, I like that. Man, some of your eyes rolled so hard they came out of your forehead. <laughs> I Years ago, I was in. A, I worked at another church, and my office is in the back of the building, or secretary in the front of the building, so this guy comes in, a friend of mine, and he comes in and he says, hey, d- uh, let Brent know that Bob with the IRS is here. And so she, uh, she very nervously, she didn't know who he was, she calls my office, Brent, Bob with the IRS is here? And I'm like, oh, what? I mean, <laughs> I don't don't know, I was a real good friend of mine. He was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs friends like that? So Matthew, the tax collector, this Jew who is teaching and becoming popular walks up and he looks Matthew square in the eyes. And I think that Matthew's probably expecting some sort of, of angry tone or something, I don't know. And Jesus, the God-man, says to Matthew, the reject, come follow me, and more than that, be my disciple. Can you imagine what Matthew felt? This is where we stop in the text. I mean, you don't just blow through reading this. When I was a freshman in high school, I know you like to hear stories about me. I was a freshman in high school in Dalhart. Uh, ninth grade was in high school there. Uh, my dad, he started checking me out for lunch. Uh, he'd come to the school and get me out of class and uh, so I didn't have to eat you know, in the cafeteria with all the other kids. He would take me to the, we'd go to the sweet shop. That was what it was called. They served uh, donuts and pastries in the morning and then they served lunch. for And... Uh, uh, we'd go on Fridays because it was on Friday that they had a, a baked potato bar. Yeah, for a dollar fifty. I don't know why that stuck in my head, but for a dollar fifty there's a baked potato bar and the, the baked potato was about as big as my arm. It was huge. And my dad would spend most of his time talking to the owner. His name was Jim Bass. And he whistled all the time. Side note has nothing to do with anything. He just I remember him whistling all the time. But they would visit and I would eat my baked potato. Uh, and after we had had our giant baked potato, they would bring us each a piece of apple pie. And I'm pretty sure that that piece of apple pie was about a quarter of the entire pie. It was a huge piece of pie. And you know, I never, never argued, I never complained about my dad taking me to lunch. All the other kids were in the lunchroom. They were wondering why does Brent's dad come pick him up and go to lunch? Why was Brent so special? That's how I felt. I mean, while they were sitting in the lunchroom having their rectangular pizza and pineapple and tepid milk, My dad was picking me up from school and taking me out to lunch and it made me feel very important. This is one of my fondest memories of my dad. And then later on, I went to, because I have three stories to tell you to make a one point. Later on, I went to Waxahachie, Texas, to Southwestern Assemblies of God University. And I had been there for a while. I don't remember exactly while, when, when it was that I was there. But my dad, uh, he invited me to lunch again. A different occasion. He had come to Dallas with a group of pastors from, my dad was pastoring in Carlsbad back then. And so uh, a whole bunch of pastors from southeastern New Mexico had all gotten together in one big van. And they went to Dallas uh, to go to a John Maxwell church leadership conference now in the 90s John Maxwell was a rock star at least among pastors he was uh, my dad was there with all of his preacher buddies and and so he, he's at this important conference church leadership with his friends and he calls me and he says hey come into Dallas because is about 30 miles away come into Dallas and I'll, I'll buy you Outback we'll go to Outback and I'm like Outback Do they have big, baked potatoes? (laughs) I was in college. I had no idea what Outback was. So my dad left his important preacher friends, and he missed one of the sessions with John Maxwell to come eat steak with me in Dallas. With all the important things that my dad was doing, he took time to invite me to have lunch. That meant something to me. Now, while I was at college, I was coming up on graduation. I was a couple of months away from graduation, and I was kind of pulling a Jonah moment. I didn't really want to do what I thought God was pointing me towards, and so I was kind of trying to steer the boat the other direction. And uh, I I needed to make some big decisions out about graduation, what I was going to do uh, after, what was the next step in life and what was I going to do. So I don't know how my dad arranged it, but he arranged for me to have lunch with a man named Terry Lewis, Dr. Terry Lewis. Now I don't expect that you would know Dr. Terry Lewis, but I did. Uh, he was kind of a church consultant. He was a coach to the pastors that I would have considered big successful churches. These are, he, is, he was a pastor to the great pastor. And people knew that. Uh, He he wasn't a national rock star like John Maxwell, uh, but he was a rock star in our denomination. And Dr. Terry Lewis agreed to have lunch with me. Thank you very much. So I'm thinking, we'll go eat something nice, like Outback, right? Or actually, I very much remember there was a place called Joe's Best Burger and it was wonderful. And it was like this greasy little nasty place. And uh, I remember talking to Dr. Lewis and he said, no, let's just meet at the cafeteria. The cafeteria? Really? <laughs> we're, we're probably gonna have rectangular pizza that day. <laughs> But he was, he was just that kind of guy. And so we sat down uh, in the cafeteria across from each other. And I don't, I don't know him. I know of him. And I know that I know nothing of what he knows because he's like, he's a guru. And I'm just, I'm Brent at Bible school. And I'm at a Bible school getting a business degree just to prove that I have no idea what I'm doing. Did you catch that? I was at Bible school getting a business degree. It doesn't make any sense. So I didn't know what to say. I'm just sitting there, you know, teach me. Just, it's just, just let me have some of your wisdom. And other students are watching, and I, I, I don't know that they were, but in my mind, they're asking questions like, why is Brent eating lunch with Dr. Terry Lewis? Because Brent, he, he's not even a ministry major. He's a business major. We're not even sure if he knows Jesus. That's how school was, seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. Dr. Lewis, though, he is very down-to-earth as he can possibly be. We visited. He asked me questions. He got me thinking about what I should do. He shook my hand, patted me on the back, and sent me on my way. That lunch meant a lot to me. Not because it was in the cafeteria in front of all the other kids, and I was like, <laughs> No. Not because of the great wisdom that Dr. Lewis imparted to me, because he didn't, he just asked me questions and got me to think. Someone much more important than me, someone that I considered great, called me and spent time with little old me and invited me to be a part of their life for a little bit. Have you, do you, can you think of someone that that reached out to you that was very important, that spent time with you and it just made you feel more important than you really were you're looking at me like like I guess I need to invite all of you to lunch <laughs> No <laughs> Hallelujah preacher, brother yeah, it was important to me, and it obviously i I, I recall these stories because They made an impression on me when I was younger and I didn't know what I was doing and somebody great knew what they were doing had time for me. So whenever I read Matthew's gospel and Matthew tells of Jesus commanding the storm, commanding the demons, healing the paralytic and forgiving sins, proving that he is God and then proving that he is God. And then Jesus says, hey, Matthew, come and follow me. Come into my world. Be my disciple. Walk with me. Matthew is recalling this moment as he writes it. Jesus, God, called to little old me the tax collector. you gotta get your brain around that. You gotta get your heart around that, that's a big deal. So the scripture says, Matthew got up and followed him. Yes, sir, absolutely, I will follow you. I've heard about you. You've done all the things that prove that you are God. So if you call me, I tell you what, all you see is I'm getting out from behind this tax booth and I am coming to follow you. Matthew's mother didn't even like him that much. And now Jesus invites Matthew into this little band of brothers. I want to put a little thought in your brain here. Jesus calling Matthew to be a. Jesus calling Matthew to be a fully devoted follower is unreasonable. I mean, of all the Jews that Matthew that Jesus could have called. I'm sure that there was some... He could have gone to the tabernacle, you know. Could have gone to the church and looked over the, the people and said, Well, that one's dressed well. We should take him and invite him to follow. And That one he can sing. We're going to invite him for sure. That one person that can't clap or the flip? Nope. Don't invite them. <laughs> Instead, it, the story goes like Jesus is wandering around, sees Matthew at his tax collecting booth and goes, Hey, Matthew. I'm going to call you the most repulsive person in all the city. I'm going to call you. Jesus calling Matthew to be a fully devoted follower is unreasonable. This is not some rock star inviting you into their fan club. I want you to absorb this. Jesus, the one through whom all things were created that we just read about in John 1, Jehovah from the Old Testament, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, just the God of the Old Testament. When we read it in in Genesis 1, Elohim is the God above all other gods. God, God, God. Just invited Matthew to be a part of Jesus' inner circle. Wow. Generally speaking, I think that our perspective of God is very low. Either that or our perspective of ourselves is very high, possibly both. Either we have a low view of God or a high view of ourselves, maybe both. God calls to us and we have to check our calendar to see if we have a better offer. Jesus calls to us and we pause as if we do not value a lunch Or a life spent in the presence of Almighty God. Do you hear what I'm saying? He comes along and calls us and we're like, well, you gotta think about it. Not sure. I might want to do something different. I, I have other ideas of what I want to do with my life other than what God seems to want to do with my life because, I'm, you know, I'm in the tax collecting business and I'm doing really well for myself. And so now this guy who we're not sure if we like yet or not, I mean, he's doing some miraculous things. He's proven he's God, but I don't know. I'm kind of liking the business that I'm in. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me at all. The greatest and most humbling thing that can ever happen to us sin-filled humans is to hear an invitation from Jesus to follow Him. And now, here's a little Matthew, the most obvious of sinners Not just following Jesus around with the crowd, but he's being one of the disciples of Jesus. He's one of the twelve. And so how does Matthew handle it? Number two, Jesus goes to a dinner party. I know some of you that have been in church for 150 years, you just went, I can't believe you said that, Brent. Jesus went to a dinner party, that implies things. Yes, but that's what the text is. So picture what's happening with me again. Get your imagination going. Verse 10, uh, and we're going to get through verse 13. Oh, Lord, help us go fast. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. Later, so, so time has passed is all. We, we just need to mark time. Jesus called Matthew. Jesus, Matthew follows Jesus. And now later in time, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests wonderful. Along with many tax collectors. (laughs) Matthew really knows how to do this. And other disreputable sinners. (laughs) Matthew you've really messed up here dude. But when the Pharisees saw this they asked his disciples why does your teacher eat with such Oh, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. scum. Matthew invites his new friends, Jesus and the disciples, his old friends, the other tax collectors, and all of his other disreputable sinner friends, and probably people that Matthew didn't know but wanted an invitation, the Pharisees, right? Because Matthew had no reason to really know the Pharisees. I really do believe that Matthew is telling this story the way uh, he does to communicate the depth of emotion that he is feeling. I think that he inserts the Pharisees, or he, he tells this part of the, he includes, that's what I want to say, he includes this part of the Pharisees because they nail what Matthew is feeling when the Pharisees say, Why? Does your teacher eat with such scum? Because I think that Matthew's standing there going, I know it. I know. Why? Why? Why would Jesus the Christ come to my house? I have no idea. Why would Jesus the Christ come and hang out with a whole bunch of IRS agents? I have no idea. Why would Jesus, the holy son of a holy God, come and hang out with all of my disreputable buddies? Because somebody's gonna say a foul word. Someone's gonna tell a joke that's not correct. Someone's gonna pick a fight. There's gonna be something terrible happen. Why would Jesus, why would Jesus hang out with such scum? Matthew's not telling this to throw stones at the Pharisees. I don't believe that for a heartbeat. I think Matthew's like, no, this is it. This is... Why does the Son of God pursue a relationship with sin-filled me? Why does the living God send... Why does the living God, Jehovah, Yahweh, why does the living God send His Son to pay the penalty for my sin so that I can follow him and know him and eat lunch with him. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Matthew says, I don't understand why, but we're having a dinner party at my house. All the sinners are gonna be there and Jesus. Reading your Bible you know, I, I push soap and I, I hear people uh, push back about reading their Bibles. Uh, reading your Bible is not a task. Uh, coming to church, not a task. Uh, living a life in a way that honors Jesus is not a task. It's all a privilege extended to you by a God of grace that you can do nothing to deserve and that you really deserve nothing. So while we're behind our our booth, we deserve nothing from the King of Kings. And he he says, come on, follow me. Come on, we're going to your house for dinner. I'm going to spend the night. I'm going to take up residence. Matthew got it. He was so excited that he invited everyone over, everyone he knew and some people that he didn't know, so that they could meet Jesus as well. Was it proper? Absolutely not. Was it heartfelt? Oh, you bet it was heartfelt. Watch what happens next. Okay, we are to number three. Oh, we're doing good. Listen carefully to Jesus' response. He's going to respond to the Pharisees uh, who just accused him of eating with scum. Okay, Verse, verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. But then he added, now go and learn. He's speaking to the, to the Pharisees, right? And these are the guys that they know the Bible. They got it all figured out. And now Jesus, who's eating with the scum, he's, he's correcting them. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. So why would I hang out with you fools? That's what it's going to say in my translation when I write it. Then he added, now you go, you Pharisees, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. I mean, we could preach on that for a week. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. If you were raised in church, we should be terrified of that statement. Because those of us that were raised in church and didn't have our wayward time in life, we have this tendency of thinking, well, I'm okay, I'm fine. I, I, didn't, I didn't have that rebellious time in my life. I mean, the most rebellious I ever was, we, me and the Baptist pastor's son, which happened to be John, John the Baptist, uh, <laughs> we would tell our parents we were going bowling and we were really going to dances. And that was all. I mean, we weren't even misbehaving at the dances. We were just dancing and having a lot of fun. That was my rebellious days. We lied to our parents about bowling. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to show mercy, not to offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I went to the doctor this week, not because I turned 50, I try to do that, you know, on the big zero birthdays, I go to the doctor, I go, and he's like, so when was the last time I saw you? I said, when I turned 40, I came in, because every 10 years is good, and then everybody that's more than 50 told me, that'll change, (laughs) you turn 50, and all the lights on the dashboard, come on, your tires are flat. I didn't go because Diane made me. I went because I was concerned that I was sick and I needed... Are you listening to the words? Forget the illustration because some of you are like, well, what was wrong? I'm not going to tell you. Any, I'm not going to tell you anything. All I'm telling you is that I felt sick and I needed a doctor to fix me. If I hadn't felt sick, I wouldn't have gone to the doctor. Uh, I mean, he's a nice guy and everything, but new. No. <laughs> I have friends... For free, I don't need a doctor to be my friend and charge me. Okay, I went to the doctor because I felt sick and I needed a doctor. My concern is that we don't consider ourselves actually sick, we don't see ourselves as sinful. We think we are okay, so we don't need a physician. Therefore, when Jesus calls to us and says, hey, deny your own interests. Take up your cross and follow me. It's going to be a life of sacrifice and grace. We pause. We pause and we say, why? Why Why would I abandon my life and my desires to follow you? Why would I give up what I have to follow God why would I give up my uh, maybe good life maybe miserable life for a life with God why would I give up my earthly success or failures for eternity in heaven with God if, if I don't see myself as sick if I don't see myself as sinful then I really don't need God's help in my life We ask why, because we do not have a biblical perspective of God's greatness in relation to our own sinfulness. We think of ourselves as being pretty important, and God is an accessory to our important life. But Matthew understood it. Matthew understood what it was to be the sinner. And to be approached by the Savior. The Pharisees understood it. They just weren't going to accept it. They saw that Jesus, the teacher, is meeting with the scum of the earth. Jesus understands it. He understands that he's bringing his salvation to people who could never earn it on their own, who could never deserve it. And he gives it to a gift to those who truly, absolutely understand it and appreciate it. And whenever God, whenever Jesus calls them, they abandon whatever life they have to say, Lord Jesus, I will follow you. Whatever you want in my life, I want that. Amen, hallelujah, preach it, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Ephesians, I started with this this morning where Paul Paul gets it. He says, therefore, I, and then he qualifies I. He says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Hey, we, we like to quote scriptures now about, I'm free because Jesus set me free. And Paul was like, I'm a prisoner. For the purpose of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is not my own. It's been purchased with a great price. and belongs to Jesus. It's not mine to do whatever I want with. I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord. And then that's not the part I was going to talk about, but I circled it real big with a highlighter. So I thought I ought to stop there for a second. He says, therefore, a prisoner for serving the Lord. He says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your, do you remember? Calling, and then he says, for you have been called, you have been called. If you don't have doodads on your neck, you may need to check your pulse. You have been called by God. If you think you are righteous, you will never value God's call. In fact, you'll probably resent it. But if you recognize that you have nothing without him, if you believe in him and his ability to forgive, if you believe in him, you recognize your need for forgiveness and you recognize his ability to forgive you of your sin against God and to bring you into a personal and right relationship with God, then when Jesus calls You'll be happy to give up whatever little life you have here to become a fully devoted followers of Christ. Church, we don't play church. Don't be a spectator of Christianity. My challenge to you this morning, I know some of you are gonna think, well, I've already answered the call. (laughs) Okay, well, right. You came to church, yay for you. Don't be a spectator. My challenge is to follow Christ. Matthew didn't stand behind his tax collecting booth and say, Sure, Jesus, you can be my Savior. Now get out of the way. I need to collect some taxes. We do that. I was listening to the radio this morning uh, to church. As I come into church and I'm listening to the radio, guys speaking, and, and, and he's, he's just... Um, watering down, coming to Christ as, man, we just just get people to say a little sinner's prayer. And slam, bam, thank you, man. we We're right out the door. We can just run them through 100 at a time. We got people getting saved like crazy. In fact, he said, we need to save them quickly. And I'm like, sweetheart, we don't call anybody. We're the tax collector. We're the sinner. We're the scum. And we're hoping that Jesus calls us. I get off of my notes. And that's why I write notes, because I should stick to the notes. My challenge is that you answer the call, that you follow Christ. Become a follower of Christ. Make a point to get into the scriptures, to learn about him. Learn about this Jesus that you say you follow. Make a point to live in obedience to him, giving him glory for his work in your life.